Welcome to the Mike Gormley Show. Mike Gormley is the founder of Los Angeles Personal Development, a boutique music management and public relations firm. Mike has achieved top recognition as a journalist, a record company executive, an artist manager, and music supervisor for TV and film. His work has brought the world such successful artists as film composer Danny Elfman, massively successful pop band The Bangles, and helped launch the careers of such diverse artists as Rod Stewart, Rush, BTO, The Police, and Supertramp. Mike Gormley Show brings the world's biggest music icons and management to you. And now, your host, Mike Gormley. Welcome to the Mike Gormley Show at our new home, our new station. Hey, Mike, good to see you. What do you think about our new gigs here? Uh, Con broadcast. <laughs> it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's getting pretty close to being professional. <laughs> it is almost. Uh, don't tell anybody. Well, hey, Mike, you've got an amazing show, an amazing guest, um, and I'm going to let you tell us all about it. If you just tuned in, you tuned into the right place at the right time. It's the Mike Gormley Show. Thanks very much. Hi, everybody. It's uh, Mike Gormley speaking, and um, this is a new, uh, this is a premiere show of the Mike Gormley Show, which is going to be heard on Friday mornings at 8 o'clock, and it's going to be, uh, we're going through Rincon Broadcasting now, which is the home of uh, KTYD and uh, 99.9 and KTMS at 990 AM, as well as 97.9 FM, um, and um, it's, a, it's Santa Barbara. Pardon? I just said Santa oh, okay. Barbara. Yes. Rick Santa Barbara. Barbara. Oh, but they know that. <laughs> I guess they yeah, don't yeah. know that in like New Jersey or somewhere these days when you can be heard all over the place. But uh, yeah, Santa Barbara. And and um, I, I think a great start with two great guests and uh, from a, a, a band that's uh, raising a lot of dust these days because not only are these guys musicians and... and um, of of high note but lately um, they're uh kind of movie stars kind of they're in the film world now with a documentary on the immediate family which is the name of the band so uh, i'd like to uh welcome danny korchmar and steve postel from the immediate family hi guys very nice to be here how you doing wonderful wonderful Great. having you here um you know you probably hear this all the time but you know, you do research and you want to talk about something and you find out that everything that's been done by the, the guys in this band is kind of overwhelming. It's the various artists you've played with, not only you two, but of course, Wadi Wachtel is in the band and, and the great uh, Lee Sklar on bass. And um, they're all, you're all major figures. Is it, Don't forget is it, Russ Kunkel on drums. One of the greatest I'm sorry, I'm sorry Russ. <laughs> and my background is drums. How could I forget him? But uh, um, is it? Uh, I don't. I, I. It's a silly question. But what's it like? You you guys work in studios. You work together. But now you're a band. Is it kind of a psychological difference, or is it uh, you just you're playing the tunes? Well, I tell you what. It's um, it's different in that we're not working for somebody. We're working for ourselves. Mm -hmm. whatever we do it's 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 what we want to do and and uh we don't have to make someone else look good we got to try to make 
us look good. <laughs> it's very different in that way. And also as a songwriter, I'm writing songs, or I was writing songs, more for the band than for general uh, use, yeah. as it were. That, and, and that's an interesting world these days of writing songs. There's a certain amount of turmoil going on in terms of even getting paid, even, even uh, having outlets and so on. Have you run into that? Uh, well, nobody's going to get paid. You know, you know, the fact is that the way it's set up now, songwriters don't get paid unless you're, you're in the top 10. And the only way you get in the top 10 is by having millions of followers on social media. Mm -hmm. So none of this stuff has the power that it did have. Songs don't have the power that they had in 1970 or 1972. They just don't. So it's a different world. You know, I, 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 Mike, you know, with, at this point, we we write songs for because we like to write songs. Mm -hmm. I, I've, I've actually, unless I had a specific uh, job to do, like write a song for this television show, I, I've never thought about, I wonder if this is going to be a hit song or if this song is going to, I write songs because that's what I love to do. And I think you know, all of us come from that school. And you always, you always did. I mean, all of you all, you wrote because you wanted to write a song. It's, it wasn't it's like, oh, let's write a hit tomorrow. It was, That's right. To me, you know. my, my idea of a hit is, do I love it? <laughs> but that's just a hit for me. <laughs> that doesn't mean other people are going to love it. And mostly they don't, you know? So. Yeah. Well, they do an awful lot in, in your case, but. Well, they had in the past, but now of course it's a different world. Yeah. Yeah. But, and so you're writing for immediate family. Um, is it, uh, are you individuals writing? Are you writing together? Is it a combination of the two? I think it's all pretty much a, uh, combination of all of us, you know, that, that <laughs> chime in. For instance, I write with Wadi a lot. We write with Steve. Wadi and I write with Steve a lot. And Russell is a very good writer. He throws his stuff in there too. So it's a mixture of, of everybody. Uh -huh. yeah. Oh, cool. We should mention some of the people you, you've all worked with, um, uh, and Danny, you have a very interesting starting point. You started, if I got this right, in the documentary I watched, it, which is very good, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, but you started with James Taylor um, when you guys were like 13, 14 years old and weren't yet doing music. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. Yeah, we were just hanging out, being teenagers and chasing girls and doing whatever we wanted to do because he yeah. was 13, I was 14. But we had music in common. We both loved the blues. We both loved Lightning Hopkins tremendously. And James's uh, acoustic style was, I mean, was in, in its infancy at that time, but it grew tremendously. The next year, for instance, he had, you know, gone, uh, uh, changed completely. Not not completely, but had grown tremendously. Mm -hmm. So uh, we, we hung out for a summer. The next summer, he had come back with his acoustic guitar and he had learned how to play in his style already. So but that, when he was still a teenager, he had the essence of his guitar style. That's very interesting. But his vocals were something you you didn't really know about. I mean, he started singing on a casual situation with you and you went, what? You right. Like I said, we were kids. We were hanging out on Martha's Vineyard. Now, Martha's Vineyard was very different than the way it is now. Now it's like the Hamptons. But back then, it was it was uh, bucolic. It was it was. Uh, you know, an open space that wasn't crowded. There weren't zillionaires taking over. And when I met James, we were just hanging out on the front porch of the Menemsha store. It was like nobody there. There was a, there was a, a dog sleeping on the middle of the street. <laughs> okay. And we were just hanging out, you know, we didn't know what to do, but he and I, we became pals and we started hitchhiking everywhere, which is how all of us got everywhere. 
And one time we were walking down a road and he started singing. He started singing a Ray Charles song. And I whipped around and looked at him. I said, my God, you can sing. You can sing, but you can really sing. You know, so it was astonishing to me. And, and uh, I knew what real singing was. And uh, he had it immediately. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. But at a young age to to figure that out, it's, um, you know, it gave you a lot of time to pull to pull everything together, I guess, right? Well, you know, we weren't pulling everything together. We were just following our, our instincts and yeah. him and I both, you know. But it got to the point of uh, you, you had a, the flying machine was a band you were both in, right? That's right, yes. Mm -hmm. And so at some point you said, let's start a band or, or did, did it happen naturally? Well, yeah, I got in touch with James. He was uh, up at the time, the band I was in before that, the King Bees had just broken up. Mm -hmm. And I always wanted to be in a band with James because I knew he was great. You know, he was great when he was a teenager, you know. Uh, so I called him and he was in... Um, Massachusetts and he hitchhiked down to New York and slept on my couch and we thought about putting a band together and we got Joel O'Brien on drums and we got our old pal Zach Wiesner who's a very bright very bright fellow mm -hmm. so James taught him to play the right bass notes you know on all our tunes oh and away we went you know that's cool mm -hmm. it's, Steve what's what how did you start out with with was it as dramatic as that or was it uh musically yeah musically sorry yeah well i think like a lot of us i think because i know wadi's talked about this i knew really young you know what but even before i saw the beatles on ed sullivan i'd seen a guitar players i just this is what i wanted to do so that there was never really any question about or wavering in that and uh i you know so i was begging my parents for a guitar from when I was five or six. Mm. Finally got one when I was eight. Uh, they got me I'm very lucky that a very interesting guy who was my guitar teacher, who was a, he was a singer and a folk singer and a Broadway singer and a classical guitarist. He was all these different things. So, so I kind of got this very cool education where I, from day one, I was singing and reading and playing a song and some playing classical and, and it just evolved. I was in New York City in the in the you know grew up in New York City. It was New York City was an incredible place to be, uh, creatively, culturally, and and so I, I saw everything. And my influences, I saw, I saw Nureyev. I saw you know Duke Ellington. I saw Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee. I saw it, it was a every weekend of my life starting like twelve or thirteen when I could go off on my own were these great influences and i was playing so uh, you know, was it a creative atmosphere when you were growing up in the with the family well yeah my mother's a painter was uh was a painter and um and my father was not was supportive of it all but because that's what she did every day i watched her every day she'd get on her bike drive down to carnegie hall where she had a art studio mm. paint all day it was just sort of a given it was it was a between yes, between my family being very supportive and had a huge record collection and and uh, supporting me in in the sense of getting me a guitar and then for my sixteenth birthday a, a two track sound on sound tape recorder and so on and so forth. Yeah, but so the, that, Danny, your mom was very when I mean, she was a writer. I mean, of 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 note. You yes, know, it was very creative around your place. 
Um, was there music involved or she was the writer and you just kind of wandered into your area? Well, music was involved only uh, peripherally. She was a, a very good writer and she wrote a bunch of mystery novels, all of which got published. And uh, she was a terrific writer, but she was also a good poet, a brilliant poet. She had a bunch of different skills, uh, which you would have if you were brought up in Europe, which she was. She yeah. had those the kind of Euro European uh, idea of what culture was, which is the total opposite of what American <laughs> American culture is. Uh, but the fact is, everyone in my family and everyone in my, you know, and, and my parents' friends, they all hated rock and roll. And they, you know, they said, well, are you going to play like Julian Bream, the wonderful classical guitarist? No. Are you going to play like Django Reinhardt, the magnificent Belgian uh, guitarist? I would love to, but no. I was interested in playing rock and roll because that was youth music, and it just spoke to me. The first time I heard Little Richard's Lucille, it, it's my, my brain exploded, you know. I, I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever heard in my life. So there was something about that music, that R&B and, and rock and roll music that really got to me, even though my parents were very much class interested in classical music european music mostly and yeah. show, show tunes ultimately which is the but way they I let you go they let you run with what you had they know they they had no choice to let me go you know i went you know <laughs> uh, nobody thought nobody thought in my family i was ever going to amount to anything you know including me by the way yeah. uh, but i happened to be there at the right time in the right place and, and things worked out well so um we run down a little uh, run down a little bit or i will run down a little bit of the members of them we mentioned how you guys have been around a lot but you know I should point out that that danny has we're talking about james taylor and you're very much part of his his career but you also worked very closely with linda ronstadt and mm -hmm. carol king and jackson brown and so many more i mean that's uh that's a little mind exploding right there even though it didn't happen early well, you got to remember in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, all hell was breaking loose, especially in Los Angeles. Everyone knew everyone. It was an incredible community and everyone knew everyone. Everyone got together. Everyone traded guitars and songs. And it was it was, it was absolutely great. You know, one time Stills called me up and said, can I use your basement amp? It's over here. It's a, I said, of course you can. Absolutely. The next day, you know, or two weeks later, I, I asked him to borrow a guitar. And he, this is the way it was. Yeah. We, were all, we were all in the same boat, as it were, and uh, everyone was tremendously helpful to everyone else. It was a wonderful, wonderful social situation to grow up in and, and to uh, participate in musically. That's that's fantastic. And and uh, Steve, where were you? You were still in New York at this point, you think? Yeah, I didn't get out here till till uh, like two thousand four, and the scene in New York was those guys were doing this beautiful interaction around which was a lot largely around songwriting and new york was a more uh at least my experience of it there was tons of music and there was a huge community but there was much more involved in the commercial part of it like like we were doing film stuff and tv stuff and we were on the cutting edge of when cable when cable came out writing for that and uh and there were and there were bands that, plenty of bands that came out in new york but it was a it was definitely a different scene. It was also a few years later than what Danny's talking about. But in terms of the vitality of it, um, I mean, I, I'm still in touch with all these guys. There was there was more work than if you could if you could play music. There was tons to do. You could make a living. Absolutely. I, even yeah. I mean, the clubs paid. <laughs> you could play every night. There were sessions in the day. I played Broadway shows. 
I play really? a Saturday day, play a Broadway show. Then after the Broadway show, I'd go down to Bleecker Street and play a gig. It was just nonstop. It was very, and it was affordable. I had a, I had a rehearsal studio in a building called the Music Building, which was 12 floors of just music. And it was a giant room, like half the size of a gymnasium, just ours from my band, three three twenty five a month. You know, so we we just it was our clubhouse. We were there every, if we didn't have a gig, we were in there playing and doing some other stuff too. But you know, it helped us play. Sure, but um, and and we uh, well, Leland is not here, and and Russ is not here, and Waddy's not. Waddy's on the road right now, as we speak, anyway, with um, uh, Stevie. Stevie. Is that right? Yeah, Stevie, right. And he's been with her a long time, but he's also worked um, in the Rolling Stones, or at least Keith Richards, right. um, and the, the, uh, the famous winos, um, who I got to see play once, actually. It was very cool. You know, Russ and, Russ and Lee are out right now. They left a couple of days ago. They're out with Lyle Lovett right now. Lyle Lovett, that's right. And th this is kind of normal for them. And, and Danny, are you out touring very much, or are you... Okay, I don't do that I mean, anymore. Besides immediate family. Right, I don't do that anymore. Um, I was kicked upstairs in the uh, early 80s uh, and became a producer, uh, uh, especially when Don Henley hired me to produce, co-produce his music, co-write and co-produce co his music for his solo career. Uh -huh. And that's when everything changed. But I wasn't enjoying, let me tell you, the truth is I wasn't enjoying doing sessions all the time because 85 to 90% of them were shit. All right. I don't like playing lame cartoon pop music. I don't like playing, you know, cardboard music. I don't like playing for people, you know, commercials. I, I, you know, uh, that's not why I learned to play the guitar to the degree that I do, which is all right, right. minimal. I like playing serious music with serious people. Well, we're uh, we're actually coming up the first commercial. I can't believe this. Uh, uh, what the beginning is going by so quickly, but we're going to start with some um, immediate family music. And when we come back, we'll talk about it a little more. I think we're going to hear as we leave here. We're going to hear a, a tune called "Fragile Heart." Did, who who wrote that? Is that a group thing or? What? Oh, that's mainly Waddy. Waddy came to uh, he had it mostly going, but then he came over to my crib and we worked on it some more, uh, and I added some things to it and we worked on it together. But basically, it's Waddy's song. Beautiful song. All right, wonderful. Well, we're going to we'll step out for a little commercial. Those things have to be done. And uh, we'll come back and talk to uh, Steve Postel and Danny Korchmer from the immediate family. Groovy. Perfect time for me to get a drink. <laughs> the media family has more session playing and live show mileage than just about any other living players today. Yeah. The immediate family is a unique group of iconic musicians who have played together for decades, but never as their own band and known for their long, illustrious careers, backing up such Hall of Fame artists such as James Taylor, Keith Richards, Jackson Brown, Linda Ronsett, Carol King, Stevie Nicks, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, just to name a few. The immediate family, a band that can legitimately be called a super group. The Media Family is a subject of a full-length documentary that goes into depth about the long history of the group and all the accomplishments of each individual member has made. Directed by Danny Tedesco, the movie is distributed by Magnolia Pictures and is available to stream or own now. I just watched it the other night. I, it was incredible. I, I really recommend this film. It's won over 18 awards at various uh, independent film festivals and festivals around the world. 
Go to immediatefamilyfilm.com and you are listening to The Mike Gormley Show. We will be right back. Steve Postel from the Immediate Family, and today Danny Kortzmar and I are on the Mike Gormley Show, and we're happy to be here and getting ready to go on tour. Got lots of new music, new movie, new record coming for you, so keep your eyes open and your ears open, and uh, we'll see you down the road. Welcome back to the Mike Gormley Show. Mike, take it away. Uh, we do have Steve Postel and uh, Danny Korchmer from the immediate family with us. Uh, they're going to be um, playing in, in the California area coming up at the Mint in Los Angeles and uh, on the 14th in, at the Libero Theater in Santa, in Santa Barbara. Um, but they're both sold out. It's, uh, it's, yeah. nice, to, it's nice to hype them, but... People can't, at this point, I guess, can't get in. That's not a great message, but the truth. There's two more shows in California before we go east. I don't know the name of the theaters. One's in Saratoga and one's in Livermore. I don't, oh, know, yeah. I don't know if they're sold out or not, but if you're up that way, check it out. I hadn't, I hadn't heard about those gigs, so that's, uh, we'll, we'll catch up on those. Mm-hmm. Um, so the album, immediate family album, uh, Skin in the Game, is 
what it's been out now for what a six months something like that no i think it just came out the album or it hasn't been released yet the album hasn't been released yet it's going to be released in february we do have a single out now oh that's it okay and the single is called skin in the game is it not correct yeah cool my confusion uh was the recording process given the schedules that you guys have was it were you able to really zone in on it uh, or was it he's available today we'll do this uh you know i imagine you're too professional to be that scattered but um was it was it were you able to just sit down and do it or was it when available we were able to sit down and do it at that point everyone had freed their schedule i think it was five days in a row there took the first down was three days so <laughs> the second one was like five days isn't that right post for the for five days we do, we do yeah we have a process where we we do a bunch of we do a lot of pre-production in the sense of we we pick the songs we do a lot of writing we get them together and the process is we come over to my studio which is which you're looking at and we do a a vocal and a guide guitar and a click track mm-hmm. that way we got we we know the form so we do a lot of this work that way we can work very fast. Then we go over to Groove Masters, which is Jackson Brown's wonderful studio. And and we just cut tracks to these these demos that we've created here over here. And then when that's done, we take it all back and just go to town, start overdubbing. But all that in five days. No, well, the five days is the is the tracking part. Oh, okay. But there's there's weeks after that where we go over to Steve's studio and, and we uh you know, on this last album, we did a lot of work, a lot of post-production work, I should say. Is the band made up of producers or people who have been doing that for a long time? Is 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 there one producer of this album? No, no, it's it's done by by committee. Now, mostly that doesn't work, but with us, it does because we've known each other for a million years. Yeah. I've known Russ and Lee for more than fifty years. We're playing with Wadi. Uh, he's the new guy. Forty years. You know, so uh, uh, we've all known each other a real long time, and there's very little disagreement about parts and about how to put the stuff together. We're all on the same page. Yeah, uh, and so the word in the title "family" is very descriptive of what's going on. It is, but also we're all, we agree about what the music should be. We agree about you know how, how it should go and what it should sound like. Without that, you got chaos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm there's a very there's a very shared sensibility uh you know there's some differences here and there uh danny danny and i are careful not to mention john mclaughlin in front of wadi for example <laughs> but uh, but but there's a real shared uh mentality and sensibility about really what is great about rock and roll and we all kind of i think we all have a good pretty good idea about what that is did any of the people you've been working with over the years, are they guests on the album at all? No, there was no guests on the album. And oh. you had determined that. It wasn't going to be one of those albums. Everyone is doing this. They think they got to make, make an album. They got to call everybody in to do guest shots and to do duets and stuff. I think it's a, a, a losing formula, in my opinion. Uh-huh. And certainly we didn't do it. We don't need to do that. Our, the idea for us was to present ourselves as a band, all you know, self-contained, music, lyrics, singing, playing. What was the first gig you did as immediate family, first live show? I, I remember very well, I had a show booked. It was a place in uh, Westlake Village called Bogies. Mm. 
Annie and I were going to play, I have a band called Night Train Music Club, which is really a, it's just sort of an all-star, it's just a fun thing that I do. And we had, Danny was going, was going to do it with me. So we had the date booked. And and the band was, was getting, and the guy said, hey, you want to make that a, I mean, he knew about us, the guy who books it. So we just swapped it over from being that and to being a media family. That was our first, our first gig. Um, I imagine that was, I imagine that was, uh, adrenaline producing. I mean, it was just, there you were out in front of people doing this stuff you've been working on, but it was, but it was you guys, not like Danny said earlier, you're not working for other people. It was you guys uh, right. in spotlight. Mm -hmm. And, and was that, were there nerves in there or was it just, here we go? Well, of course there were nerves in there, but you got to remember all of us have been on stage our whole lives. Yeah. Not new for us to get in front of a microphone and play for an audience was not new for any of us. So it wasn't like we were just, you know, walking the plank, as it were. We, we uh, had a lot of confidence in what we were going to do. When you've got Russ Kunkel and Lee Sklar as your rhythm section, things are not going to go wrong. Basically, <laughs> it's going to work, you know. Yeah. And so that's your, your security blanket, as it were. Yeah, security blanket. I mean, it must be great for you guys to know that's going to come together. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, I'll say that I that the band, I mean, we were really good then, but over time, this organic thing happened, which happens with bands. It does not happen when you hire guys to play. And there becomes, as much as we were a unit and tight and had played the record, made the record, I just feel over the last five, six years, that this, something you really can't, articulate or analyze happens with and we have right. just a very innate sense of what happens when we get together and play now steve you were working with well we first met actually we you and i first met um <clears throat> with dan navarro and and connected that way with a kind of a funny story because we were in this band in kansas city going into uh uh, a convention and we were sitting beside each other had not met and with the course of the conversation turns out we're both going there for the exact same reason the exact same person which was dan navarro um but you've uh you've been busy with uh, other artists as well i mean david crosby was somebody you were working with a great deal yeah. uh, and a couple of others any others you i mean I've, over the years I've, I've, I've i toured with john oates when he first decided to to They've had different, now they're on a possibly permanent hiatus, but they would take hiatus from Hall & Oates. So he put a band together with me, and uh, I played with Jennifer Warrens for years. I played with Eric Anderson, Ian Matthews, um, Pure Prairie League. You know, it, over the years, different, and, and, and lots of uh, sort of individual shows of where I'd end up on a show with Richard Thompson, one show, you know, there a lot of different situations over the years. Yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're closing in, I think, um, pretty soon on commercials. I want to talk about the, the, the new documentary. It's, it's, um, it's a pretty, you might say, new band who already have a documentary, but it's because of your backgrounds that, that uh, somebody, somebody decided to jump in there. But it's, I, I feel that it's giving a real kick to the to the band. Are you feeling that happening yet? Is it well, sure, yeah, of course it is. Uh, Got to remember, we're we're a new band 
consisting of a bunch of old cats, you know, mm-hmm. a bunch of old men. But uh, we like to rock and we do, we play great together. And uh, uh, although it's, it doesn't make sense in terms of how to promote it, these are a bunch of old cats that played in everybody's records. Now they have a band. It's like, you know, does, is anyone going to be interested? I think people will because of the documentary, uh-huh. because of the story. And, and that's the point. This band and the individuals in it have, have a hell of a story. And I think that's part of our history as well. It's available now on streaming and so on, that, the documentary. That's right. Mm-hmm. All, all the services. Yeah. Is, it, is it Netflix or do you, where is it? You can find it. You can find it. It's, it's bad. I mean, there's there's easy to find. 30 services that anything any anywhere where you can on demand, you know, direct. Yeah, yeah I found it on, uh, you can get it on Apple and then it was also on Amazon the other night. So I found I think I, I got it from Apple, though. So and it's, and it, and it's, it's, and it's called, really it's called, good. It's called really the immediate good. family, right? That's what that's what you go look for. Yeah, that's right. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, guys, a great documentary. I loved it. Really, really enjoyed it. Really well done. It was done by um, uh, Denny Tedesco, who did the, the the Wrecking Crew documentary, which is just one of the the marvelous uh, music documentaries available today. We just, it was so, so good. And because of his dad, who was one of the great guitarists um, in the Wrecking Crew. Um, and so you were... I don't know. Were you lucky, or did how did that Denny enter the picture? How did you guys come together? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, that had a lot to do with um, with Lisa Roy, our beautiful friend, and 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 uh, somebody that helped us tremendously. And Lisa had found out that Denny and 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 Greg Richland were tr- looking for a project to to make. Mm. And the person they had been talking to, it wasn't working out. He was the person was stalling and and putting it off. So Lisa said, "Well, what about?" What about this? What about the section turning into immediate family? You know, how would that work? And they said, oh, that sounds like a good thing. Then I met with them, the producers, Denny and the directors, and did my best to sell them on this this project by saying that we're all a bunch of maniacs. We're interesting people. And that's what's going to, that's what would make an interesting documentary. Brilliant musicians were also like maniacs. I want. I have to promote it by saying right now. I think it's the only film on Rotten Tomatoes with a hundred percent. Oh, I heard about that. A hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's an amazing feat. Well, that let's about that. We got. We got to jump away from one of those commercial things again. But we'll be back in in a short bit, and we'll talk about the immediate family documentary and some of the other things going on. Brilliant. Ed, you can check out immediatefamilyfilm.com. Immediatefamilyfilm.com and find out where to stream it and all the great stuff that Mike's talking about. You're listening to the Mike Gormley Show. We'll be right back.
Mike Gormley show and uh, proud to have uh, some of the great musicians going around uh, uh, Danny Korchmer and Steve Postel on with us from the immediate family and um, and and those in Santa Barbara and Los Angeles and I evidently there's now two other gigs I hadn't heard of where the immediate family are, are coming your way so so check and see what's uh, what's happening there but uh, now it when we were talking earlier uh, Danny you mentioned rather briefly went by the section mm-hmm. the section uh was just studio right it wasn't a band it was you guys but it was a studio configuration uh it was it was the the four of us <coughs> we were on the road with jane rusley and and uh and Rus- rusley and me and our keyboard player at the time craig Durge, and uh we were backing up James on his tour, his college tour. James would come out and do a very quick sound check. He just wanted to know if he could hear us out. And then he would leave. So we were on stage. We would start jamming. You know, we wanted to play. Mm-hmm. Out, of that, out of that came the section. And the reason why it came out of that is because the front of house guy recorded it on a cassette and played it for Peter Asher. And Peter said, have you heard this, guys? Have you heard this? You're really good. You should do something with this. So Peter very much uh, uh, helped us, as, as he's helped all of us through all of our careers. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. He goes back the early days of James Taylor and, and, and you, um, you know, getting, getting him signed to Apple Records and so on and so forth. It was quite, it's quite a story that Peter's been there basically from the beginning, right? He certainly has, yes. Um, and, and he also, just for people uh, listening, uh, uh, Peter Asher, not to mention his own performing 
career as Peter and Gordon, but he also, and not only James Taylor, but was very much involved with the career and success of Linda Ronstadt. Um, and probably probably others who would take a, a long list to mention, but seems to be primarily those two, at least in the early days. Right. Um, well, he was a genius level producer. Peter was a great producer. Probably the, the best producer I ever worked with. Really? Him, him and Lou. Sorry, I have to wipe my nose. Him, him and uh, Lou Adler were both genius level producers in that they let the stuff happen. They didn't make it happen. They didn't go out and shout at you. They let stuff happen. And uh, we learned a tremendous amount from working with those two producers. Um, okay, we were talking about the documentary a little bit, and and um, I I don't have a lot more questions on the documentary. I just want to tell people that it's, it's a it's a really great if if you're a music fan at all, and certainly a fan of these guys, it's uh, it's a great time to sit back and just. Uh, enjoy the the stories that go on around it. It's, it's a very very interesting movie. Well, one of the things one of the things that that's unique about it, I think, is that because of who everyone knew and worked with, uh, the the little interviews instead of one or two people, it's James Taylor, Jackson Brown, Carol King, Linda Ronstadt, Lou Adler, Don Henley, Neil Young, Keith Richards. You know, it's everybody kind of <laughs> all these people said yes. So it, so there's a, it's very rich in terms of the history of that era, aside from what everybody right. did. Right, that's right. It's up to date too with everything that's going on now. It's not just the past. So it's really that's that's what's very cool about it is you're getting both, both views of uh, what's going on with the music from you 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 guys. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you what the, uh, as you know, the music business and music itself has changed tremendously. Dramatically, yeah. From when we were doing this stuff in the uh, late '60s, early '70s, you have to remember um, everyone listened to the same music. You'd turn on your FM radio and you'd listen to uh, Sly and the Family Stone, followed by CSN, followed by Johnny Mitchell, followed by Smokey and the, and the Miracles. You know, in other words, there was the DJs were playing all kinds of different music, and that's what you would hear on the radio. You wouldn't hear just one kind. Sure. Now it's niche. If you're a heavy metal fan, all you hear is heavy metal. All you want to hear is heavy metal. If you're kind of a, a sad boy, a, a emo band, then you just want to hear that that stuff, you know? Yeah. And that's why people could uh, kind of, uh, they navigate to the stuff that they think means the most to them. But they don't get a chance to hear other stuff. Mm -hmm. So, and that is very different than the way it was in the uh, 70s, 80s. And kind of detrimental to music in general i mean you're not you're not getting the full force of music you're getting your channel of music i think so i think so but i also think that music popular music does not have the same power that it had in the late 60s 70s and 80s where everyone was listening to radio everyone was watching mtv it was universal now you know like i said earlier people just go to the niche that they're interested in so we don't have a wide uh, uh, vista of people listening to various different kinds of music and right. getting involved in it. Uh, a, the immediate family getting to a style of music is you've got three guitarists in the band and, and drum and bass. Is, right. uh, so it's, I guess you would say, guitar driven. Is, is that accurate? Post. Well, you could, in a sense, I mean, yes, obviously it's three guitars, but 
But the, the thing about what we do is we're not just all bashing away playing the same thing. We're, it's very organically orchestrated. It's not that we work it out. So the guitars are playing the music, but it, it could be a keyboard, it could be another. We're, we're, we're playing these parts together that form the whole. And it's what it's very exciting for me the way the three of us treat the sonic differences in the guitars and the parts and and how it interacts and why we don't really need a keyboard. I love keyboards, but we're kind of doing all that. So, yeah, yeah. so it's when when you say guitar driven, it kind of it kind of connotates something that's I don't think we are, which is you know heavy guitars. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think we're more like the Buffalo Springfield where everybody found a, a place to be rather than. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's three guitars, but you've got you're, you're bringing in different elements to the to the music. That's right. The fact is that um, we all know we, there isn't a lot of discussion about our guitar parts. In other words, for Wadi and I who have been playing together for at least 45 years, hmm. you know, the longest conversation we would have between Wadi and I on a date would be, well, uh, you go low and I'll go high. End of discussion. <laughs> and now, now with three guitars, Posty, uh, Steve Postel does stuff that that uh, Wadi and I can't do. He has textures and stuff that he, he that he can put in. He also has great finger picking skills that Wadi and I can't do. So now we got Wadi can go like nobody's business. Me, I can go like nobody's business. And Steve can go great parts on top of that. You know, and that's what you think, but that does, that's not something you have to sit around and discuss for hours. That's something that either is going to happen or it's not. It just happens. Yeah, exactly. Okay. We've got a, a, another break coming up and uh, we'll, we'll be back in a minute to the Mike Gormley show and our special guests. Thank you. This is Danny Korchmar from the Immediate Family, and we're very happy to be on the Mike Gormley Show. And we want to come, come out and play for you guys. So come and see us. Come and see our movie. We are very thrilled to be playing music for you guys. Thank you.
welcome back to the Mike Gormley Show. Uh, the music you just heard, a, a tune called Confusion uh, by the Immediate Family. And uh, two members of that band, Steve Postel and Danny Korchmer, are here. And uh, we've been talking about uh, uh, the, the new album, uh, a documentary that's out, that's a very powerful documentary, and uh, and some live dates coming up. Uh, it's... It sounds like it's pretty busy for you guys now. And of course, Wadi Wachtel is now out on the road with Stevie Nicks. And I think you mentioned uh, Lee Sklar is with, who did you say he was with? Lee, Lee, and Lee. Lee. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, Lee so, Lyle Lovett. Lyle Lovett. So it's a, it's, a, it's a busy life for you guys. And Steve, you're, you're well, you're all producers. You're not just musicians, you're all producers. Uh, I know, Steve, you uh, have, you're working in a studio with some people. Are you, Danny, are you producing or what's going on there? No, I don't want to produce anymore. Oh, you don't? You know what? Producing is like flossing someone else's teeth, you know? <laughs> uh, and I don't want to do that. I'm I'm good at producing people that know what the fuck they're doing. But I'm producing, little, you know, children, people that are insecure and what, I'm no good at that, you know? You need, you need to call Rick Rubin for that, for psychology, because I'm no good at that. Uh-huh. I'm good at music. Nut, nuts and bolts, you know, how do we make this arrangement better and this this stuff. I'm not good at stroking you and, and telling you it's okay and you're really not that bad and you're really good. I'm not good at that. So as a result, I don't produce records anymore. <laughs> you, know, you don't I, miss it. No, I do not miss it at all. I do not. But see, Steve, you produce quite a bit in your studio over there. It, uh, you, you seem pretty busy in that area. I am, uh, although, like, what's true is that I am much more selective, much more than I was before. I, I, I had I did a couple records where I just really wasn't a fan of the music, and it was just, and 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 I, I just made a commitment to myself. I just can't do it. Like I, I can't kill my love for music, you know, just for, because someone, you know, you put a lot into it. As Danny knows, it's it's a it's a huge energy suck to, to produce a record. It's it's so yeah. much involved you know, from the pre-production to the whole thing the hand holding so i'm i'm just more selective and i try to do listen to the if it's something that i feel has value or i like it and it doesn't have to be i don't care what style i'm doing a children's record with some but she's lovely in the, the oh wow that's neat it's really sweet music and she's great so that's fine i'm only interested in the nuts and bolts of, of music how you put it together and make it great and make it something that appeals to people. Uh-huh. I'm not interested in holding hands. I'm not interested in convincing you that it's okay. Don't listen to your demons. Calm down. It's going to be, you know, somebody else. Go go with somebody else for that, you know. It sounds like you've had some moments in the studio that uh, that kind of overtook your thoughts of creative thoughts. You didn't enjoy yeah. aspects of it, hand-holding aspects of it. Right. Well, when you come from working with, say, uh, Don Henley, who's a major, you know, talent. It's got millions of ideas and great stuff. And we, we sit down there and we knock it out, bang, 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 bang. So to go from that to some little girl, some indie girl who's, who's so precious and, you know, and wants you to understand your lyrics, she's going to explain what the song means to you. If you got to explain it, then you fucked up. Then, you, then it's not a good enough song. If you have to explain what the lyrics mean. Okay, I've made my point. <laughs> I'll stop I got it. Mm-hmm. On that note, we're going to, uh, if you've been listening to the show, you've been hearing pieces of music as we go in and out. The next uh, uh, bit of music, you're going to get to hear the whole song. 
and it's the title track from the album Skin in the Game, and it is by the um, Immediate Family. And thank you, Steve and Danny from the Immediate Family. And I hope I hope we got your tickets for the shows in Santa Barbara and Los Angeles, et cetera, because uh, they're uh, have disappeared or are disappearing quickly. So congratulations, guys, on everything that's going on. And thanks so much for coming by today. Thank you very much for having us.
Mike Gormley Show is brought to you by Evolve Entertainment and The Jeremiah Show. Executive producer, Jeremiah D. Higgins. Your host is Mike Gormley. Producer and sound engineer, Graham Palmer at Surprise Studio. The Mike Gormley Show theme song is Jeff Skunk Baxter's track, Ladies from Hell, from the Speed of Heat album. Pick up your copy at jeffskunkbaxter.com. Follow and subscribe to The Real Jeremiah Show on YouTube and all podcast platforms. Let Mike Gormley help your music career. Go to lapersdev.com. Find all of The Jeremiah Show and Mike Gormley's past interviews on thejeremiahshow.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.